This episode is brought to you by The Conflict Beautiful. The Conflict Beautiful is actually a collection of books known as the Conflict of the Ages series that offers a deep, profoundly insightful look at the scriptures from pre-Genesis all the way to the end of time. And it's been so beautifully redesigned for the 21st century. If you're looking to take your reading of the Bible to a deeper level and maybe figure out a few more of the whys of your favorite Bible characters, then visit theconflictbeautiful.com and use the WTDT promo code to get 10% off your purchase. Um, so I trusted him. We get on this plane and I'm sad because I didn't get to say bye to my mother. And I didn't know at the time that my mother had no clue. Uh, what, I, what, what I would find out later is that that night, Muslim imams or priests would come to my mother's home. She's worried to death. Her sons never came back. They came to her house and said, we have your sons. She's like, where's my sons? We're not going to tell you where they are. But if you submit to Islam and become a good Muslim wife, then we will bring your sons back. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. Here at Why They Did That, our goal is to help you to love studying the Bible. We believe the stories found within are true to life and have the utmost capacity to actually transform our own lives. Hence why each episode is centered on a particular character and their why, their motivation, the thing that bridges the gap between the ancient and the present. But occasionally, we come across people whom the Bible has already profoundly changed their lives, and their story is one of such epic proportions that they could be Bible characters in their own right. Adam Patel is one whom we introduced many of you to in our second episode this season, Losing Your Fire. Back then, he took us to a portion of David's life that was most troubled. Today, however, we have another story to tell you, and it's Adam's story. The story of a young boy whose life took so many twists and turns, spanned multiple continents, and consisted of a number of breathtaking divine interventions, that it's best if I just let him tell it to you himself. Proverbs 20, verse 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Mm. Very interesting when I read this. The spirit of man, mm -hmm. you have a spirit, I have a spirit, right? right? It's like who we are, it's our mm -hmm. identity, mm -hmm. right? So who we are, the Bible says, is a candle. Hmm. And I think about that. I say, okay, we're candles. Right. What's the purpose of a candle? Show light. Exactly. 
you can put a candle here and make it, you know, a part of the decoration. It's not really supposed to be decoration. You're supposed to light it with fire, mm-hmm. right? So if we're the candle, the question now becomes, who's the fire, mm. right? It's a powerful thought. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Right. So this is very encouraging to me that if I'm the candle, Jesus is the fire. Mm-hmm. I was made to be one with Jesus. Uh-huh. You were made to be one with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, what Satan wants to do is make sure that we as candles are never unified with that flame. Mm -hmm. That instead of being a candle lit with fire, we end up just being a candle decorating a desk, a candle with no purpose, a candle that's probably holding up some books or a doorstop. That's not what the candle's made for, right? God wants to unify himself with us. Mm -hmm. That's a privilege. Uh, I was born into a Muslim home. So, you know, many of us aren't born into Christian homes. Yeah. Was it the same with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Satan thinks he has the advantage where, you know, you, when you were born not in a Christian home, Uh I wasn't born in a Christian home. He's thinking, okay, these candles are never going to be united with the flame. Right. They're never going to fulfill their purpose. But I want to tell you that no matter what situation you're born into, God always has the advantage. Mm. Um, so, you know, my father is a Muslim still to this day. Wow. His name is Muhammad. Uh-huh. You don't get more Muslim than that, yeah. right? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I don't discredit him when I tell this story because I know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's right. You know, and he was a young man, diehard, fanatical Muslim. Really? He was doing his best to raise me, my twin brother, and my older brother as young Muslim boys. Um, he was taught as a man that if he didn't raise his sons, he would be punished in hellfire. Mm-hmm. Talk about pressure. Right. At the time he met my mom and married my mom, she was a backslidden Adventist. Mm. Uh, but when they had us boys, all of a sudden they were wondering what to teach them. Yeah. My father stepped up to the plate mm. and uh, did what he was taught. Uh, he was so fanatical with Islam. He prayed five times a day. Uh, you know, it didn't matter where he was. If he's driving in traffic and it's time for prayer, he will pull over. Uh-huh. He'll pull out his compass and figure out where the east is. Right, from Mecca. Yeah, mm-hmm. based in uh, Mecca. And then he'll go in his trunk and pop out the rug, the prayer rug. And, and you know, and he used to be, I used to be embarrassed, man, because he, he's on the side of the road. It's five o'clock, five o'clock traffic, and he's out there just praying. Mm-hmm. Everybody's looking at him, and I'm sliding in the back seat trying right. to hide. But he, he loved God, you know, f- from what he was taught. You know, he did his best. It's funny you say that because... I actually grew up in a Muslim home as well. Wow. Yeah. My my mom, um, when I was how old, maybe 11 or... Wow. Yeah, I think about 11. She married a Muslim. Wow. Um, his name was Mo. Okay. But it wasn't Muhammad. Um, it was close. like Mulud or something like that. That's close. Um, and yeah, so so they were married for eight years. Wow. So I had a lot of those same kind of embarrassing yeah. Um, yeah. experiences, but it, it shows a certain dedication. Yeah, it You does. know, like the times when I've been convicted to pray, I haven't necessarily pulled over Come on now. and just thought, you know, let me speak to God because I, I should, you know, no yeah. man is safe an hour without prayer. Come on. Um, and, and so I, I, I can relate in that sense. I, I doubt that my father-in-law was as extreme as you're saying uh, your dad was, but uh, it's interesting how those kind of- It is, cross. it is. We can learn a lot from that sort of behavior, mm-hmm. you know, if we were so dedicated to pray to the Lord that mm-hmm. way and not ashamed, Right. not ashamed. Um, when I was about eight years old, my mother was, I don't know what she was doing. I think she was digging in her closet or something. And then she finds this book mm. and the book is called Steps to Christ. Mm. And that book 
actually started to lead her back to Christ. Wow. That's what it's designed to do. So you were eight? About eight years right. old. We're living in Hartford, Connecticut, Muslim boys. Uh-huh. We're learning the Quran. We're memorizing Arabic. We're learning the surahs, the different scriptures right. in the Quran. We're full blown into this thing, mm. man. We got Muslim um, uh, pictures and writing all on the so wall how, in the house. So how Muslim is your mom at this point before she, she finds that book? Great question. She wasn't Muslim at all. She was just in the world. Right. You know, my father just was diehard Muslim. Uh-huh. It was really strange. His wife wasn't. Right. But he was raising his sons to be Muslim. Mm. And she was letting it go on. So that was more important than than that that the son that his sons would grow up Muslim than his wife would be? You know what? I think it was important that his wife would grow up Muslim as well, but he had a lot of pressure to raise his sons. Right. You know, especially the culture, it emphasizes the male yep. uh, leadership mm-hmm. aspect of it. So he had a lot of pressure to do that and pass it on to his sons. Um, so when my mom found that book, she started having flashbacks because mm. she grew up in Advent as a Christian. Right. And she started having flashbacks of Sabbath school and Pathfinders and going on church trips and uh-huh. the joy that she experienced as a child. She looked at her sons and said, wait a second, they're not they're not experiencing any of that. Right, they're not Christian. They're missing out. Mm. Um, that book changed her heart. Uh-huh. And as you know, once Christ changes your heart, mm-hmm. it does something to your mouth. Mm. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Speaks. So she couldn't help but say something now mm. to her sons about the lovely savior that she just fell in love with again. Mm. How old would she have been at this point? You know, that's a great question. She was a young lady. Um, I would say in her twenties. Oh. Yeah, in her twenties for sure. Um, so when my father would leave, she would say, hey, let me show you something in the Bible. Mm. You know, we're opportunist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, God is a strategist, mm. you know, Satan's objection or his mission during that time was to make sure that these boys were not united with the flame, that that the candle and the fire would not come together. Mm-hmm. But now Jesus was in the house uh-huh. and, 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 and my mom was introducing Christ in the Bible and, and it was like fireworks going off in my mind. Wow. It was a complete opposite feeling that I was getting from Islam. Mm. I didn't know what it was. I know what it is now. Yeah. It's a four letter word. It begins with an L, love. Wow didn't really experience that in Islam. Hmm. But when she started to talk about Jesus, I was feeling it and and sensing it. And it was absolutely love. Um, As you can imagine, uh, this wasn't a secret thing for too long. My father would uh, come home and see what was going on. Uh, He saw what was happening and and there were some things going on in the home that I don't even want to get into between my mom and dad. Hmm. But as you can imagine, there was arguments going on because one side was trying to teach Islam. Now she was trying to teach Christianity. So would you say that you're like culturally Muslim at this point? Absolutely. 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 We would go to the mosque every Friday. Mm. Um, we would practice our, uh, 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 our Quran. You see, I'm rocking right now because right. that's what you would do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to actually recite the Quran. We were Muslim through and through. And this is all you knew. You grew up like that. That's it, right? all I knew, man. We ate like Muslims, talked like Muslims, dressed like Muslims, you know, prayed like Muslims. Everyone, all my brothers and sisters have Muslim names, including mine. I just mm. got the easiest name, Adam. Right. Adam is actually a Muslim name. Yeah. But my twin brother's name is Tariq. Mm-hmm. They pronounce it Tariq. My brother's Javin, my older brother, Aisha and Zaina, you know, uh, so totally Muslim through right. and through. Um, my mother gave her heart to the Lord and she went through a lot of pain to do that. Mm. Um, when she got baptized, it was a hard time for her uh, and the relationship with my father. Mm. Uh, she prayed to the Lord for an experience. You got to be careful what you pray for. Uh, the Lord 
was going to give her that. Uh, my father asked her, hey, how about we move the family to Saudi Arabia? Wow. That's a big move, right? And she prayed to the Lord and, and felt like the Lord said, go. Now the family's moving to Saudi Arabia. It was my father's, though, objection or his mission to make sure that his family was being influenced in the ways of Islam. Mm. And moving the family to a Muslim country, he thought would do that. And he knew your mom was baptized. Yes. And he actually threatened her not to get into the baptismal pool and take us to go see it. Wow. Um, it got really, really... You were there? I was there. We were there to see that. You know, my, my older brother actually got in the pool too. He was so moved. He was only eight years old at the time. Wow. He got into the pool as well. It was a powerful experience. Um, so we witnessed the battle between Christ and Satan from seven, eight years old at this time. We ended up moving to Saudi Arabia now. I can imagine Satan was pretty excited about mm. us moving there, thinking that, hey, now I have this family in the Muslim country. I can put out this flame that's trying to enter into their heart. I can make sure that this union never happens. Mm. We're in a Muslim country now. My mother has to pretty much dress like a Muslim. Right. And, and to live in Saudi Arabia, especially in the rural areas that we were in, uh, the woman had to really know her place, so to mm -hmm, speak. Mm -hmm. She couldn't walk side by side next to the man. Right. She had to walk behind him. Mm. You enter into a, a room, the women would be on one side and the, and the men. And so the men have all the control. Yeah. But you know what? It doesn't matter where you go. Christ always has all the control. Mm -hmm. When my father would go to work, my mother, by the grace of God, was able to smuggle in her Bible and a couple other books. Uh, so when he would go to work, she would pull out these books. We had hiding places for these books. We would hide it in the kitchen, some of these books, mm. in pots or underneath the bed or in our toy box. There were places, places that he's never going to look. You got it. Right. And so when he would go, we would go to these secret places and pull out the books and have worship. Wow. And one of my brothers would sit by the window and be the lookout. So we see him coming. All right, Pops is here, time to put the books away. Mm. And everybody puts the books away. Yeah, like away. missionaries, but in your own home. <laughs> yeah. My mom used to play games and say, hey, you guys are like secret spies for Jesus. Wow. We were like eight years old, so we were loving that. Right, right, right. You know? Um, one day, I guess somebody was slipping on their job and wasn't, <laughs> watching, watch, <laughs> wasn't watching out too good because he came in and saw what was going on. And as you can imagine, that wasn't a good day. It wasn't a good day. But let me tell you this, man. Uh, I had some of the best worships in Saudi Arabia that I've ever had in my whole life. Mm. Um, I believe that the angels of God were in that place, in a foreign country, in a Muslim land, worshiping with us. I remember one night we had worship and it was on the story of Joseph, a story about a boy who was taken away from his family. Mm. And after that worship, my father came home. Of course, the, everything was packed away. And he said, boys, put on your jackets, we're going. We looked at him puzzled, like jackets? It's Saudi Arabia, it's 100 degrees outside. What's going on? Surprised even, you didn't have them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were just like souvenirs, you know? So we got in our jackets, we just carried them with us. And my mom looked at me as we're walking out the door and she said, Adam, something's not right. She had that 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 mother's intuition. Right. I look back at her and I'm like, what are you talking about, mom? It's okay, you're tripping. She's like, no, something's wrong. I said, we'll be back. 
And she shut the door with that nervous, worried look. And she was right. That very night, we went to the store, bought suitcases, bought clothes, went straight to the airport and hopped on a plane. My father, my twin brother, and my older brother, just a year older, 89 mm. years old, hopped on a plane and went to India that very night. My mother had no clue where we were going. We were kind of stunned and a little bit um, excited and, and, and scared and sad. It was a mixture of emotions. Mm. We trusted our father. And he was telling us, hey, we're taking you to India so you can learn Islam. Satan was doing all that he could mm. to make sure that the candle and the flame never gets united. And how much did you understand about this battle at that age? Like, did you, when, when, when he says, I'm taking you to learn Islam, did you know that that was, that was you know, going to directly counter and attack what you were learning from mom? Or were you just like, oh, okay? Yeah, I did. I did. I knew, I knew it was gonna, it was because of what my mother was teaching. Mm. Um, but as a child, I trusted my father, yeah. you know, I trusted both my parents. So it was a little confusing mm -hmm. to me on what side to trust. And I think this kind of debacle kind of played a, a part in my uh, choices in life as I got older, mm. you know, it did. Um, so I trusted him. We get on this plane and I'm sad because I didn't get to say bye to my mother. And I didn't know at the time that my mother had no clue. Right. Uh, what, I, what, what I would find out later is that that night, Muslim imams or priests would come to my mother's home. She's worried to death. Her sons never came back. Mm. They came to her house and said, we have your sons. She's like, where's my sons? We're not going to tell you where they are. But if you submit to Islam and become a good Muslim wife, then we will bring your sons back. Wow. What a dilemma. You know what? Because she was truly converted, and I praise God for what she did, because I questioned whether, you know, if I would be a Muslim to this day if she didn't make this decision. Huh. She said to them, I love my boys, but I love the Lord more. Wow. And I have to trust God now with my boys. Wow. Powerful. And it hurt her soul, right? Because my mother worries to death. Mm. You know, she's a worrisome person at times, too much so. And so now we're in this foreign country. Uh, and the whole purpose is for us to learn Islam. Mm -hmm. Away from the mother that was teaching us Christianity. Right. I bet Satan believed that, you know, if I can take these eight-year-old boys away from the source of learning about this flame... There's no way that this flame would ever, ever find its way into their heart. Mm. I'm going to tell you again, brother, that he was wrong. We're in this country now. And I can tell you a thousand stories of the experience of, of living in a third world country. But it was humbling, to say the least. Uh, makes you grateful for what you have out here, that's for mm. sure. We were there. We went from village to village. Our father basically dropped us off there. And he it didn't was, stay? He didn't stay. Huh? Uh, not with us anyway. And we were staying in these villages with people we didn't know, people that didn't speak English and we didn't speak their language. We were staying in villages. One of the villages, the homes were made out of cow manure and mud. They would like make a home out of it. Um, no running water. We would go to the well in the morning and bathe from well water. Um, the bathrooms were holes in the ground. You had to literally stoop down and just handle your business. So it was extremely humbling, extremely different uh, mm. than what we were used to. I joke about it now that it was like end time training. You know, I got my end time <laughs> training when I was eight years old. Wow. 
but during this time we're learning Islam, we were there for about seven to eight months. Mm. We got to the point where we were in bad shape. Uh, we had lice all in our hair. Oh, man. Um, we had big air pop bellies because we weren't eating. We were uh, oh. malnourished. Uh, we had blood all over our clothes and our skin was tore up from the mosquitoes and and all these things. Um, and I remember being in a village called Jitali, where now we went to this mosque to pray. And we entered this mosque and I remember it was turquoise color. It was very hot that day, very humid. And I just had enough, man. I was just, I was fed up. Mm. I was tired. I was missing my sisters who were still there in Saudi Arabia. Mm. My mother who I haven't seen in seven months, haven't heard from her, anything, you know? Um, I was missing air condition, you know? I was missing my toys, I'm mm. eight years old, you know? And as I'm in this mosque now and we're getting ready to pray, all the men are standing up. And when you're in the mosque, you have to touch elbow to elbow. You have to be that close to the person you're praying next to. And as Muslims, you go through a ritual where you 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 put your hand on your knees and then you prostrate all the way down and put your uh, face on the ground. And the whole time you're reciting Arabic surahs or Arabic prayers. And I remember being in this mosque next to these people. I didn't even know who they were in this hot mosque. I'm bowing down now, praying to Allah in Arabic. And as I'm bowing down, I hear this voice in my mind. I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know who it was, but the voice told me, pray, pray to Jesus. Jesus. My mother taught me before I left, simple things, like the story of Joseph was our last Bible study, which God gave to us so we can be ready to go to a foreign country. Right. But she also taught us a simple prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Just a simple prayer. Yeah, yeah. But we know how to pray. Mm. And this voice was telling me, pray to Jesus. And I'm scared, like, wait a second. I'm arguing like with this voice. I'm not going to do that. Mm. Because if I start praying right. to Jesus oh, yeah. in here, I don't know how to pray to Jesus in Arabic. And you have to pray in this mosque in Arabic. If I start praying in English, they're going to know something's up. Mm. And I'm going to get in trouble. The voice was louder. Adam, pray to Jesus. Pray to Jesus. And so I, I, with all the courage that I had, and it wasn't much, I was on my face and I started to pray to Jesus. In English? In English. Very quiet. <laughs> and it was something like, dear Jesus, I'm so tired of being here. Please save us. Please rescue us. Please. And let me tell you, brother, I've done a lot of drugs in my life and I've forgotten many things. The only reason I remember this story to tell you today is because of what happened after that prayer. I'll never forget it. After I prayed that prayer, I felt a powerful presence come upon me. I believe with all my heart and I can't wait to get to heaven to see the videotape that the angels of the Lord came into that mosque that day and they stood next to me because the presence, I physically felt the presence. Uh -huh. I believe that, you know, when somebody's coming into the faith to know Jesus, Jesus does sweet things like that. Mm. He manifests himself in, in abnormal ways yeah. to really get your attention. He got my attention that day. Mm. I had goosebumps. I felt chill bumps and it was hot and humid in that mm. mosque. 
And it was really weird, but it was warm. It was comfortable. It was overwhelming. It was as if that fire was trying to find its way into the candle, right? And and be unified with Mm. me. After that prayer, not long after that prayer, my father comes back in town and he's like, hey, boys, something happened and we're going to have to take you back. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Did he ever say what? You know, he didn't get into the details. Mm. I would later find out that there was complications with money and us staying there and Mm. some of the family members that we were staying with that didn't want us to stay. But I know what happened. Mm. After that prayer, God began to move and cause a situation where we could leave. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, what took me so long to pray? (laughs) (laughs) What took me so long Mm. to pray? We were finally reunited with my mother. She never compromised. And I think if she compromised, where would I be? Where would I be? I would probably be a Muslim to this day. Who knows? Who knows? But I never forget when I saw my mother, I never forget that 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 plate of spaghetti. It was the best spaghetti I ever <laughs> had in my life. I never forget that warm bath. She poured some Dettol. You remember what that? Yeah, poured some yeah. Dettol in the bath and, and purified us, mm-hmm. cleaned the lice out of our hair. And we laughed and, and it was such a special reunion, you know. She shared with us what the Lord was doing with her. Mm-hmm. And we shared with her all the crazy stories in wow. India of how we almost died here and how we almost got hurt here. And she went crazy to hear these stories, Mm -hmm. but we were very thankful to the Lord for what he did, for what he did. I'm so happy that I was able to experience the God of heaven. As I think about it, what possesses an eight-year-old boy Mm -hmm. who's away from his parents in a foreign country, practicing and learning a different religion Mm -hmm. to reach out to Jesus? Isn't that powerful? That's crazy. Nothing but the spirit of the Lord. Doesn't matter how old you are or where you are, God will find you. And there's nothing that can keep him back. Nothing that can keep him back. I'm encouraged because I have little kids now. I have a seven-year-old daughter. And guess what, brother? She knows how to pray. Mm. And I told my wife yesterday, I'm happy. Because as long as she knows how to pray, if something bad happens and she's separated, for me, I know she's good in the hands of Jesus. Yeah. She's good in the hands of Jesus. And that's the message right there. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what mess you're in, how helpless you are, or how improbable it looks that you'll ever be saved from your trials. God will do everything possible to save you. To find Adam, Jesus went to the mosque and there's no way he wouldn't go for you. When we're back, we'll see that the devil hadn't given up on claiming Adam's life just yet. In fact, these were just the birth pains when compared to what was in store next. Stay tuned. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. We get it. It's been a difficult few months, with quarantine and closures, travel bans and being stuck inside, it can be difficult to find something meaningful and productive to do. 
That's why Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism is offering a special two-for-one offer on their 13-week Amazing Disciples course. This course is excellent for assisting you with your personal devotions and Bible study groups, as well as being the perfect tool for churches to use in training their members for outreach. And with the special offer, you can do it with a friend for half of the total cost. Visit online.afco.org. That's online.afcoe.org. And sign up before the offer ends on August 31. Be an amazing disciple for Christ with AFCO. Adam was pulled from continent to continent in this celestial struggle for his heart, his soul, and his worship. But God wasn't willing for this candle to lose its flame. Help was just around the corner, albeit from a truly unlikely source. But as you'll see, Satan doesn't give up that easily. And unfortunately for Adam, his greatest struggles actually lay ahead of him. After we were reunited with my mother, um, God began to move in mighty ways. We eventually were able to leave the country, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia. My mother was praying for an army. She's like, Lord, send an army and save us. And this was the time that uh, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And so when he invaded Kuwait, the whole region was under like a war proclamation, right? Wow. And people were being, I mean, they were handing out gas masks and everything. And so it was not safe to stay in the country. They were telling wow. every, every non-citizen to leave. Wow. Uh, and so we had to leave. And so to this day, my mom says Saddam Hussein was the army that the Lord wow. <laughs> sent to save us. Like Nebuchadnezzar of old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we were, we actually were able to leave the country. Mm -hmm. What was really funny, we knew it was God because as soon as we left, we went straight back to England. Mm. That's where m many of our family members are. Yeah. And as soon as we got to England, then my father calls my mother and says, hey, you know, the warning's been lifted. There's been a change. You guys can come back. Wow. You think we went back? Mm -mm. Absolutely not. <laughs> Once the Lord opens that way of escape, <laughs> right. don't you dare go back, yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, after that moment, though, uh, the relationship between my mother and father broke down. Mm -hmm. um, she found out some things that was going on in his life. Um, I think he was trying to seek another wife or something like sure. that. And so uh, under that reason of uh, the biblical reason, um, she they, they got a divorce. Mm. And she ended up moving my mother and us, uh, the five kids of hers, to New York. And then from New York, we went to uh, Berrien Springs, Michigan. Did you have family there already? No. Um, we had family in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh -huh. um, but it was definitely a faith move. Mm. She was praying, Lord, I want to go to school. I want to uh, just start my career. Where do I go? With five kids. Yeah, with five kids, man, wow. single mother. And the Lord just started giving her sign after sign after sign. Um, my mother has a book called Beyond the Veil of Darkness, mm -hmm. where she kind of details yeah. her side mm -hmm. of the story. And uh, so we end up in Andrews University, and it was all by God's leading. He kept showing her signs. This is where I want you to go. Um, so we're there and she's actually asking for a, a pastor to be a husband and a pastor. He, she wants a husband and she wants him to be a pastor. Mm. Um, that's a tall order yeah. with a woman with five kids. Right. right? <laughs> but God would actually grant that order. Mm. Um, so she actually found a husband there married a pastor, Pastor Branner. 
Uh, and he's been our stepdad ever since. Wow. It, was a, it, was, it was definitely a divine thing because when he came into our lives, uh, we called him dad very quickly. Mm. He, he, he just fit with us because, you know. There was never any tension. There was or... no tension. You know, because wow. it, was, it was definitely ordained of God. Mm. Because my mother prayed for this man, waited for this man, and God sent the man. And so when you do stuff like that, it's going to fit and it's going to work, mm. you know? Um, so it was definitely heaven sent. Wow. And we still think about it today. Like, wow, this, it was just really weird how that we just gelled together, mm -hmm. all of us. When we were in Andrews, uh, the power of the Western world uh, to influence you, mm. even in Andrews, is amazing. How old were you at this time? We were probably around, I would say, uh, 11, 12, 13. Mm -hmm. We were there for those those years yeah. to 14, I believe, 15. So we were there through that. And, and in, those, in those years, in that time span, we were heavily influenced by the world. Mm. I mean, the friends that we were hanging out with were listening to hip hop music. Yeah. Uh, and that's what really started to gravitate and pull us away from Christ. Me and my twin brother, my older brother, as soon as we heard the hip hop beat, man, we fell in love with that. Didn't thing. hear much of that in India, huh? You didn't hear none of that in India. <laughs> but it really pulled at us, you mm. know? Um, we, we had some, uh, you know, we got a lot of family members that listen to the reggae music. And so the bass and the drum all yeah. had that pull on us already, mm -hmm. you know, but when we heard the hip hop music, we used to sneak into the room with our Walkman. So most people don't know what that is. You know, I got to show them a picture. It's an ancient artifact, <laughs> right, right? These things actually exist. Yeah. <laughs> we said, you know, plug in our headphones and I would have, we used to split the headphones. My yep. brother would have one. I had one and mm. we would listen to the music hiding in, in our room, sometimes under the blanket. And we used to walk out and listen to this hip hop music outside. It had the speaker. This thing changed our character. Huh. I mean, it changed the way we talked, dressed, acted, performed at school. Uh, we were getting into trouble. Um, and what God wanted to do with us was, was unite with us, be one with us. But what we invited in our lives was another idol. You know, we invited this hip hop music and it transformed us. And, and the music that we were listening to uh, changed our lifestyle. It changed our character, the way we treated people, the way we talked, uh, the way we did at school. Grades were horrible, getting into trouble, stealing, petty crime. It almost seems like you're more in danger there than you were Come on now. when you were in India. Absolutely. Mm. Isn't that something? As I think back, you know, the children in India were, were always happy. Mm. I, they didn't have any toys. You know what their toys were? Some of the time, so if they found it, if they found an old tire mm -hmm. and a stick, they would go down the street and hit that tire. As long as they can keep the tire rolling, they're laughing and they're having a grand old time. Mm. That was joy. They didn't have anything, but they had joy. Mm. You know, we have everything over here. And you just how much depression, how much suicide is in this country, you know? Uh, so all this, all this, all this devilry that was around me mm -hmm. uh, totally clouded in my mind. Then we moved to California. Things got worse, uh -huh. you know, and I was 16, 17 years old, was introduced to marijuana. And uh, of course, you're listening to this music. All right, so That's all they're talking about. The next step. It's the next step, brother. And we're smoking, we're drinking, we're partying, we're hanging out with, 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 with bad people doing wicked deeds and, and the, the depravity is just getting worse and How worse. How aware of all of this is your mom at the time? You know what? She was very aware and heartbroken. Mm. We were in her house, sneaking into her house, three o'clock in the morning, high as a kite. You know, sometimes she'll catch us. She'll smell the marijuana and the yeah. weed. 
Her heart was broken. She went to the Lord in tears and in, and in a little bit of anger as well. Lord, why did you save them from India? Mm. Why did they go through this experience? You know, it's like being saved from Egypt only to be lost in Babylon. You know, and I said, she's like, well, what's the point? Mm. You know, and, and the Lord encouraged her with a couple of scriptures in Matthew and Jeremiah and said, listen, I'm going to save your children. Mm. You just don't give up praying, but I promise you I'll save them. And she held on to those scriptures yeah. for years, man. Prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. But I believe it was because her prayers, I'm alive today. Yeah. There were nights, man, when I was driving drunk, so drunk I'm seeing quadruple, not, 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 not double, quadruple, mm. right? I close one eye and I'm seeing double. Two eyes, quadruple, right? So I'm driving like this, it's pouring down rain. Uh, all of a sudden the car just shuts down. I'm in the fast lane. It shuts down like, never heard of anything like that in my life. And then the wheel just gets turned to the right and I'm being pulled over almost by itself from the fast lane right. in the rain mm -hmm. to the right, car shuts down. Police come and take my drunk self to jail. Hallelujah. <laughs> I believe my mother was praying. God said, okay, we need to pull this guy over because mm -hmm. he's going to hurt himself right. or hurt somebody else. Mm -hmm. Could have killed somebody, man. I used to drive drunk all the time. Mm -hmm. And because of prayer, I made it out that night. Mm -hmm. Another after, after I got out of jail, I'm driving drunk again. Me and my brother, we, we, the tire just pops and we're on the freeway hitting the rails uh, like a ping pong. Cars totally smashed. We get out, not a scratch. That's because my mother was praying. Mm. You know what I mean? So we have family members right now. I'm sure you do too, mm. who, who haven't accepted Christ. Right. And it's our prayers. We are the salt of the earth. Mm. Salt is a preservative. We are the salt. If there was enough salt in Sodom, Sodom would be here today mm. to preserve them. You know, it's yeah. our prayers. And so I believe her prayers, but it was hard for her, man. 10, 17 years she prayed because we were sliding since we got back to the States. And we got to a point now, I'm a grown man, but we, you're not really grown until you meet Jesus. Mm. I thought I was a grown man, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a grown man in the world's eyes and I'm doing heavy drugs now. Uh, we're snorting cocaine, we're popping ecstasy pills, um, and we're, we're not doing a little bit of it. We're doing it till your nose is bleeding. You know, we're doing cocktails. We're, we're doing all the drugs at once. Me and my twin brother got really addicted to narcotics and we couldn't, we couldn't function without it. We were functioning addicts. You know, mm. we didn't do it to get high. We got so messed up. We had to do it to function wow. in order to use the bathroom, in order to eat, in order to see, you had to do these drugs. And so now we're living, I mean, this is what the devil does. It's enticing in the beginning. It's fun mm. in the beginning, but the end is death, mm. misery, and shame. And so we're in complete bondage. And what sin does to you, man, is that when you get exposed to so much sin, it forms a callousness in your heart. It begins to bring confusion in your mind where you even doubt the existence of God. Right. I didn't even really believe God was there because of all the pain that I've brought upon mm. myself. And I had the audacity to think he right. was somewhat responsible. Isn't that something? The power That's the crazy of thing as well, because you, more than many, have seen the power of God Come on now. directly in your life. Isn't that something? But that's, that's, I, just, I just feel like this, is, this has always been Satan's tried and trusted method. I was reading a book um, a couple of weeks ago that said that Satan doesn't want us to hate God. Mm. He just wants us to forget him. Mm. And really, it's in the forgetfulness of God. 
wow. that we really stray, not in the hatred, wow. but just the fact that I can go throughout the day and just not think of what he's done, not recall how yeah. I've seen him work in the past. It's just the forgetfulness of God that gets us. Children of Israel, they saw some of the most miraculous mm -hmm. things yeah. ever. I mean, you would think you see the Red Sea be split open. How could you ever forget Food God? Come down from heaven. Come on now. <laughs> but as soon as they see these things, they go into the wilderness and they forget him. They're complaining and whining like he didn't just split open the Red mm -hmm. Sea a couple of days ago. And that's what happened to me. The miracle in India that answered prayer in India to a pot belly lice infested little boy was forgotten. Mm. The sin had overwhelmed me and I was addicted. I was a slave, man. I couldn't function. I was so depressed, mm. miserable. It was the saddest, saddest, saddest time of my life. I was, I was staying with my brother, my twin brother. We were both hooked on these drugs. We were doing criminal activity just to survive and just, just to live every day. My goal every day was how am I going to get the drug to stay alive? Because if I didn't have the drug in my system, my body would go into shock, withdrawals. I would either go to the emergency room or I would have to do some dastardly deed. I don't even know if that's a word to get the drug. And you're you still know. relatively young man at this point. Yeah, I'm in my 20s. Mm. And today, if you ask me, what did you do from 20 to 30? You don't remember? I don't remember a thing. I was high the whole time. Wow. All I know is that I was getting high. I was constantly high. Um, we got to a point, man, where it was so bad, of course, the family started to notice. We stayed away from them as much as possible. Right. But when we didn't have any food, we were going to my mom's house to get some food, you know? Mm. Raid her cupboards. And of course, she would notice and her heart would be broken. What was amazing about her house, you know, she's a godly woman who loves the Lord. Uh, we used to go to her house and just feel better by being there. Oh. And this is this is your mom having now been married to yes. the pastor that you she, got it. she met. So this house was dedicated to the Lord. And my mother called me one day and said, Adam, your daughters, because I had, a, had two girls that were dealing with a dad like me at this time, mm. who was not much of a father. Um, terrible example to them. And one of my daughters was, you know, I would bring them around this stuff, you know. Uh, they would see it and, you know, I would be high all the time. I couldn't even take care of them unless I had the drug in my system. Uh, my mother called and said, these girls are not learning anything about the Lord. And I want them to know about the Lord. Mm. And one thing I praise God for today is I never lost my respect for my mother. Yeah. And I said, okay, mom, I, I'll bring them over. She said, I want them over Friday night. And I'm going to take, you drop them Friday night. I'll take them to church and you can get them back Sabbath, Saturday afternoon or Sabbath evening. So I said, okay. So me and my twin brother now would go to my mom's house every Friday night. Hmm. I said before that the Holy Spirit is a strategist, yeah. right? Nobody can strategize better than the Holy hmm. Spirit. He wanted to get me and my brother away from that horrible atmosphere we, which we were in and bring us on ground where the Holy Spirit was welcomed and the angels of God abode. So on the Friday night when you bring your daughters, yes, you'd be there too. You'd stay. I, you know what was weird? We would. Mm. But our our reason for staying was to get the food. So we would go there Friday, and as soon as we walk in, we would feel better. Mm. Now I didn't know what was going on. I know now what was happening. Mm -hmm. When we would go there, I believe with all my heart there were angels at that home. And that the demons that we were bringing with us were checked at the door. 
like security. Mm. And so when we walked into the place, we would feel like a weight lift off of our shoulders. We used to call it the house of healing. When we didn't have any money, we couldn't get any drugs. We mm. said, okay, we can't get any drugs today. Let's just go to our mom's house so we could feel better. Mm. Call it the house of healing. But every time we left that house, that pressure came right back. So we're in this house Friday night. We're in the kitchen. We're high. We're trying to get our food. And in the living room, the kitchen was like here. And the living room was right across the kitchen. There's nothing in between. And the people in the living room were people my age. Mm. Just so happened to be. And they're crying. And they're praising God. I mean, I've never seen anything like this in my life. These are young people who are genuinely saying, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. And they're crying. And I'm looking at them like, they're either crazy mm-hmm. or, or this is real. You know what, what told me it was real? Is when I looked in their eyes. One of them would come up to us and say, man, if you can just taste and see mm-hmm. that the Lord is good. And he said it with such belief and mm-hmm. tears and emotion. And I'm looking at this guy like, man, come on, dude. But I, was, but I was troubled. What was happening was God brought us into an atmosphere where the Holy Ghost was. And it doesn't matter how drunk or high you are. There's no power more powerful than the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so I'm high, I'm drunk, I'm under the influence. But the Spirit of God was shooting his darts straight into my mind and straight into my heart. And he was causing a disturbance in my spirit. Now, when we would go home, we called my brother's place the dungeon because it was always dark. We did our drugs all night and we slept during the day. Dungeon one place, house of healing the other. There you go. <laughs> Isn't that something? So death and life. But now the spirit of God was troubling us in the dungeon. Mm. I would go to sleep and I would wake up and all of a sudden I would have a hymn on my mind. And I'm like, where in the world does this come from? And some of the songs that we would sing in Saudi Arabia for worship mm. came. I, rem- I memorized one scripture as a kid, as a kid. Just one. Just one. That's all the Holy Ghost had to work with. Mm. <laughs> and he pulled up that one scripture. One morning I woke up and it was trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Mm. Lean not unto thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. Where is this coming? God was pulling at my heart. Pulling. It got to the point, man, where... I was so troubled. My brother left uh, to go to work and I didn't have any drugs and my body started to shake and I had a decision to make. Mm. Do I go out and do what I need to do to yeah. get the drug? Do I do something different? And it was the same voice that was calling me when I was eight years old. He was starting to speak to me then. But through all the drugs, it was hard to hear his voice. And I, and I remember shaking. And I felt the same feelings I felt when I was eight years old. I was tired. I was fed up. Mm. I just wanted to be free. And I remember just falling on my knees. And I was a mixture of emotions of anger because I was still kind of blaming God for all the pain that I've been through in my life. And as I'm sitting there shaking, I said, I said, God, if you're out there, if come into my heart and operate this broke down machinery because I'm getting ready to die. You see, before this prayer, God was showing me, actually showed me in the dream that if I didn't stop what I was doing, that I was going to die. You know, some of the friends that we were doing drugs with, we would go to their house the next day, knock on their door. 
the family member would come to the door mm. and say that your friend just died last night. And so the Lord was showing me that you're going to be next and you can't win this fight. So as I'm praying this prayer, I knew I was going to die. So I said, listen, if you're out there, please come, come into my heart and operate this broke down machinery. And for the first time in years, I'm crying, man. Mm. I'm crying. I'm shaking, uh, mainly because of withdrawals and this, the fear. And then I asked the Lord something very peculiar. I said, Lord, if you're there, I want you to hold my hand. And I know the Holy Spirit gave me those words to say, because I envisioned myself sinking. And I knew that if I was going to get help, he had to reach down mm. and pull me out. And after I asked him to hold my hand, I had purpose in my, in my spirit to get an answer from the Lord. I wanted to know, I wanted a manifestation. I wanted a revelation. I wanted to see him. There was a dusty Bible. Praise God it was there in my brother's living room. It was underneath the statue of Isis that we had in there. The Bible was there and it had a thick layer of dust and it was right underneath Isis. It was a big clock of Isis that we had. So I picked up the dusty Bible and I opened it and I saw that my mother gave it to me when I was 18. Hmm. At this time, I was 28, never opened it. Oh. For 10 years, my freedom was there. It's like, imagine being locked in a dungeon and the key is there the whole time. Hmm. It was there the whole time. I, I picked up the word and I, and I said, okay, what am I going to do? I was flipping through the Bible like I'm doing now. And I was just flipping through the scriptures. After I asked him to hold my hand, I said, what are you, you going to do? I need an answer from you. And like a magnet, my eyes were drawn to Isaiah 42. And I know it was the Holy Spirit that was zooming me in. And verse 5 specifically says, Thus saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out. He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and I will hold thine hand. When he said that to me, man, I was, I was floored. I couldn't believe that I asked him to hold my hand and the scripture he takes me to says, I'm gonna hold your hand. Mm. Then he goes on, he says, not only will I hold your hand, but I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give unto another, neither my praise unto graven images. For behold, the former things are come to pass and new things, Adam, do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Man, the same goosebumps that hit me as a child hit me with more power then. I felt the presence of the Lord. It's as if Jesus was telling me, Adam, I never left you. I've always been here. Just waiting for you to call me again. I never left you. When he told me he was going to hold my hand, there's power in God's word. Yeah. It electrified me, man. 
It did something in my spirit that is hard to explain in words. I was so motivated. I felt so loved. I felt like the best coach ever gave me the best speech ever to go win the game. Yeah. I said, Leah, we're going to do this, Lord. Close the Bible. I started pacing up and down, pumping myself up because God spoke to me. Mm. For two weeks, man, I went without the drug. For two weeks, I didn't sleep. Maybe an hour a day, if that. For two weeks, couldn't use the bathroom and sometimes I couldn't see. My vision would get blurred. I went through this intense suffering, man, because I was, I was on heavy drugs. Yeah. And so they actually advise not to do this. You can get your body into shock. Mm. But I was so pumped up, man, from the word of God. And I knew he was with me and, he's, and, he, and he was holding my hand. He wasn't going to let me die. So for two weeks, man, I was so on fire. My brother was still doing the drugs in the apartment. And he was watching me wrestle and go because I would have like an exorcism at nighttime between 9 p.m. and 9 a.m. My body would really start to shake and he would just do the drugs. And so Satan was like, bro, you haven't slept in four days. Why don't you just take a little bit? Let me tell you about Jesus, man. He doesn't always take the suffering away, but he'll suffer with you and he'll be there with you. And his presence alone is is the power to push through the impossible. The only reason I made it day after day is because he was there with me. I got to day seven. I'm going to tell you the truth. I got discouraged. I said, Lord, you heal heal the people all the time in the Bible. You heal the sick. You split the Red Sea. When are you going to heal me? And I started to complain a little bit as I'm shaking and I'm sweating. And as I'm complaining about him not healing me, I have this picture in my mind and I see him on the cross and I see him shaking and sweating and it puts my mouth on mute because he's doing more than shaking and sweating. He's bleeding profusely as well. And what really pricked my heart was his mouth. His mouth was closed. Mm. Not one complaining word. And that was a powerful testimony to me. And I'm sitting here shaking like, man, he's shaking because of what I did. He didn't do anything and he took it like a man and man that motivated me to be free and i'm sitting here before you today because of the power of jesus Mm. and the power of his cross and the power of his love that transformed me man and ever since that moment all i want to do is share with people that there's a loving savior and he desires to be one with you one with me to be one with his creation. He'll do all that he can. He's patient. He'll wait. He'll wait so that you can cry out to him and you can have the best life you can ever think of, you can ever dream of on this earth and in eternity. that hath an ear, let him hear. And you just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or hearken back to a previous episode, you can find us at whythedidthat.org. Please also subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on your favorite social media platforms, such as Facebook, 
Twitter, or Instagram at Why They Did That. And we're on YouTube now as well, where you can actually watch this episode as well as listen to it. So make sure to check that out. This show was produced by the supremely talented Paul Keefe and the video editing by Jonathan J.J. Jensen. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That.